Once again, I say good morning to you, and I want to thank you for being here. And um, we enjoyed a, a great time of fellowship yesterday, and I'll let Sarah explain that later on, but um, I want to thank you uh, for being here today. I want to begin this morning by just sharing with you something that I, when I was a little kid, you know, I used to attend church, um, and I remember oftentimes at Valley Avenue where I went as a kid and at College Park and then Valley Avenue, uh, this one song that, that we, we sang, we sang it, uh, not, not real often, but often enough that I could remember it. And the song is called Jesus is All the World to Me. It is on page 512 in your hymn book. <laughs> we don't use our hymn books much anymore, but it is on 512, of course. Being a kid, I never really paid much attention to the words until later on in my teen years. But here's the first verse of that song. It goes like this. It says, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Yes, I, I, I like that. What a, what a great song. And what a great message that that song shares with us today. So I guess for myself, I, it begs me to ask the question to you. Is Jesus all the world to you? I'm waiting. <laughs> so, so, so Jesus is all the world to you. I could say to you, prove it, <laughs> but I'm not going to. But okay, well then, then if you think that in your heart, then then so be it. But again, the proof is in the pudding, as I used to always say. So we 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 need to know, and we need to be reminded of the truth that Jesus Christ holds everything together. He's the one that holds it all together, and that includes each one of us here in this room today. That includes all of us. If we really understand that in our hearts, then we will be different, and we will see differently, and we will live differently. Truly, we will. And and that difference, guys, that difference will not be small. That difference will not be in, uh, an insignificant difference in our lives. You know, it, it will make all the difference in the world. And, and the book of Colossians is, is really all about Jesus. And so, you know, Paul's desires for the Colossian church and also his desire for us was for them and for us to know Christ and that Jesus would be all the world to each one of us and to each one of them. That's what his desire was. And see, here's the interesting thing. When you, when you, when you say the name of Jesus, well, you know, there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved. And there is no name under heaven or on earth that is more loved, that is more revered, and yet, is more controversial than the name of Jesus. That's the hard part about it. 
And so at a glance, at first glance, Jesus's resume is pretty simple. You know, he, he never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his hometown. He never wrote a book. He never held a political office. He never got married. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. I wonder if Chambersburg would have been a big city back then. But despite all of that, this is the kicker, guys. Jesus stands alone in all of history as the single most significant person to ever live or walk the face of the planet. That's our Jesus. But the question that I have is, who really is Jesus? You guys know. I don't need to explain it to you, but you know, the world has a lot of different ideas of who Jesus is. They really do. You know, there are, there are a lot of different interpretations of Jesus out there. There is a cartoon version of Jesus that has made several appearances on the long-running shows of The Simpsons and the South Park. Any of you ever watched those shows, shows you've seen the Jesus that comes on there? So celebrities like Ashton Kusher and Ben Affleck and Brad Pitt have been spotted wearing t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, you know. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the shirt says. Jesus is my homeboy. In the movie Teledega Nights, did anybody see that? The, 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 the ballad of Ricky Bobby? Did anybody see that movie? Okay. I figured you guys did. Um, I, I did too. Will Farrell leads his family in a prayer to an eight pound, six out newborn infant Jesus wearing a golden fleece diaper and watching at, at that young age, watching developmental videos of shapes and colors. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, he liked the Christmas Jesus the best. But there's an even more bizarre, an even more bizarre Jesus out there. There's, there's this Canadian kung fu comedy horror musical about the second coming called Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, which pairs Jesus with this Mexican wrestling hero, El Santos, to battle an army of vampires. There's bumper stickers all over the country that proclaim that Jesus is my co-pilot. And you can even buy a Buddy Christ bobblehead figure that winks and puts his thumb up. Where do they get all this stuff? They're surely not getting that from the Bible. Where do they get all that? And then, of course, you see interviews of those who have had the task of playing Jesus, like in the, the Passion of the Christ or, or the Chosen. And those fellas talk about how it changed their lives forever. Wow. So Jesus, to me it seems, is everywhere. And everyone seems to have an opinion about him. Seems like to me. Jesus wants to ask his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do they say that I am? And so these apostles gave a variety of answers. And I believe that they still do today. So in fact, I don't know if you've ever watched any of Bluefish TV, but Bluefish TV is now called Right Now Ministries. And they have a, 
uh, they went out onto the streets and they asked bystanders the question of who is Jesus. I want you to take a listen to what they said here. So let's see if we can play that this morning. Hopefully it'll work. Just turn the volume up a little bit. He was born and he became this like prophet for eventually what would become Christianity. And then at the age of 32, he died on the cross. And it's like three days later, he was resurrected. I don't have an opinion on Jesus. I believe that religion was just created to control the masses, really. Jesus is the, our Lord and Savior that died on the cross for us for our sins. Jesus is a... Uh person that existed that continues to enrich the lives of people every day. Jesus is God's son and he was sent to save our sins. I think he is a pretty cool guy. He had a, a peaceful philosophy. I think he's misinterpreted by a lot of people. He's the savior of this world. I don't know because I don't really believe in him so I don't really think anything of him. I mean he could have been a real person. I mean I'm sure he was. I mean I'm sure he was just you know good at what he did or something. I feel that Jesus is a modern-day scapegoat. Jesus is God, I think. Yeah, I just learned that. Uh, Jesus was a man, from what I figure. Who is Jesus? He was a dude. Lived back in the day. Pretty awesome. He had a beard. He was just kind of a guy with a really unique, positive message that kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope. He probably existed, but I don't believe that he was the Son of God or anything. He died on the cross for us and uh, to save us and rose again from the dead. I wanted to sound smart, but... <laughs> so if you, if you went out on the street and you asked who is Jesus, you would get as many answers as you got there. And one of them said he's a dude, of course. You know, one said he was a scapegoat. You know, but many of them understood that, that he had died on the cross to save us from our sins, which I thought was pretty interesting. So... I believe that there are so many conflicting opinions about Jesus. And the truth is, how we see Jesus, this is really important, guys. How we see Jesus affects everything. It really does. It affects everything. You know, as I said earlier, it makes all the difference in the world. In his book, The Jesus You Can't Ignore, John MacArthur writes this. He says this. He says, What you think of Jesus will thoroughly color how you think about everything else. You know, our views of Jesus affect our our view of God. They affect our view of the world, of ourselves, and of every one of our decisions. That's how Jesus is. So who is Jesus really? Who is he? And, And how should we see Jesus? Well, the church in Colossae, they wrestled with this very question when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. For you see, there was some very sketchy beliefs that had penetrated the church at Colossae and really had, it really was going to cripple the church from within. And if you'll notice, in all the churches that we talk about Paul, Paul Paul has to defend every single one in those churches because there's always some kind of a... um, Something that's just inserted into the gospel that makes it not what, what, what God meant for it to be. And Paul has to face this. He, he faced it with the Ephesians, with the Galatians, 
you know, in the Corinthian churches. He, he faced that with them and dealing with the Judaizers. And so here again, Paul is faced with this. This false teaching was a, was a deceptive combination of, of Jewish legalism, Eastern philosophy, pagan astrology, mysticism, and asceticism. So you got all those sisms in there. You know, it's like, it was like just absolutely distorting the truth. And so there was something for everybody. And that's what the problem is. That's what the problem is. That's what made that situation extremely dangerous. So by mixing their, their Christianity with all these various religions and philosophies, these, these worldviews, what happened to the people in the church at, Col- at Colossae was that they had lost sight of Jesus. Almost similar to the church at Ephesus that we talked about in Revelation, where they had gotten everything right, but they still lost sight of who Jesus really was. They had forgotten to love Jesus. Well, here they had lost sight of who Jesus was. And so they, they forgot whom it's all about. And it's all about Jesus. It's not about anything that we just talked about there, all that, that religious garbage. So Paul writes this letter to set them straight. And he begins by setting the record straight about who Jesus is. That's what's so important about Colossians, is that he tells them exactly who Jesus is. And so if you have your Bibles or if you want to look up here on the screen, um, most, most scholars believe that this section of Scripture, because of its poetic structure, is likely an ancient creed or maybe perhaps the lyrics of an early Christian hymn. But whatever the source, we need to remember one thing. The book of Colossians is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So let's read. It says here, I'm going to read from the from the monitor. It says, the, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, notice that he says that, if you continue in your faith, once saved, always saved. If you continue in your faith, I think that kind of debunks it right there, that, that you can fall away if you continue in your faith, which means that there's a possibility that you might not continue in your faith, that you might fall away. But if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven 
and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What a powerful scripture. And so what I want to do this morning, you know, Paul could have started off by asking or attacking the, the, the Colossians about their, their incorrect beliefs and their immoral behaviors. But instead what he decides to do in this passage here, in the, in the first chapter of the book of Colossians, what he decides to do is instead as he starts to talk about who Jesus is. Paul is saying that Jesus is all the world to me. That's what he's saying. It's all about Jesus. And if you get Jesus right in your life, and if you get Jesus right in your church, if you get that right, then everything else is going to fall into place for you. So this morning I want to highlight three characteristics of Christ as Paul describes here. And the first one that he says here is that Jesus is our creator. Paul's assertion that that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, in other words, the visible image of the invisible God. And so that's, that's what he's asserting here. So, so maybe Paul, maybe what Paul did was Paul went back to the gospel of John and he was reading John chapter one, verse one, which, which says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's what he tells us. Who is the word? Who is the word? That's right. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Paul again, Paul writes again through the, he says, through his power, all things were made, things in heaven and on earth, things that are, that are, are seen and unseen. All things were made through Christ and for Christ, it says in Colossians 1.16. All those things were made for him. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the idea that Christ created everything that can be seen? That he created all of it? All you got to do is that on a night that's a clear night, you walk out and you look up into the sky and you see all those stars. And if you're in a really dark area, you, the stars just really kind of shine and they, it's just so beautiful. You know, astronomers estimate that the diameter of the observable universe is about 28 gigaparsecs. That's the word, which is compared to 93 billion light years. That's how big the universe is, the observable universe. It contains over a 100 billion galaxies. And each galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars. And nearly every star has at least one or more planets going around it. But unfortunately, those of us without direct access to the Hubble telescope, we don't get the opportunity to find out that for ourselves. We have to trust people on that. Or if you go to the Creation Museum. But, but I can share some facts with you about our universe. That's pretty interesting. And think about it again, that Jesus is our creator. He is the creator of all things. Our planet is one, if not the most unique planets in all of the universe, in the observable universe. Our planet is revolving around the sun at a distance of 93 million miles away. That's how far our sun is. God knew exactly where to put the earth. So, I mean, if we were just a few miles closer, we would just absolutely, 
You think there's a heat wave out there? You, you wait if you're just a few miles closer to the sun or a few miles further away from the sun, we would freeze to death. He knew exactly what to do. As we pull back another 240,000 miles, our moon can quickly come into view. Then Mars, who is our nearest neighbor, is about 33 million miles away. And as you clear the asteroid belt, what you're going to see almost immediately is the largest planet in our solar system, which is who? What? Jupiter. Exactly. Some of you know your science there. Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system. Then you're going to pass the familiar rings of Saturn. That's right. So you know that one. We would now be about... Now listen to this. We would now be about 750 billion miles from Earth after we get out to there. Would you say that that's a long way? That would be a long way. How, how far is it to go around the Earth, approximately? All the way around. It's about, what, about 22 to 25,000? About 25,000 miles to go around the Earth. This is... Um, 750 billion miles from Earth. That's a long ways. And as you leave our solar system, you're going to see hundreds of thousands, maybe billions of stars. The bright blue one is what? Does anybody know the bright blue star? It's it's Cirrus. The bright blue star is Cirrus. And it, it's not the biggest star in our universe, but but it is the brightest one that's ever been discovered. And so as we exit the Milky Way will pass through some interstellar clouds and what they call nebulas. The lights that you see passing are not stars, but it's they call them globular clusters. You ever hear that? Globular cluster, which is hundreds of thousands of stars that are tightly grouped together. That would be a, a globular cluster. And as we go even further out, what happens is the Milky Way galaxy then becomes fully into view. I mean, you get a great view of it. The Milky Way galaxy, it's a 100 light years across the Milky Way galaxy, a 100 light years across it. That is a long ways. And, it, and, and it's just one of billions of other galaxies that come into view. So as we continue outward, we'll pass clusters of galaxies until we finally reach the edge of the what we would call the observable universe, Everything that can be seen, everything beyond this, I guess, remains to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to find out just how little we are as opposed to the, 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 the whole universe, go to the Creation Museum, go to one of the planetariums, get in that chair and lay back and watch the ceiling as they show you the universe. It is absolutely awesome. I mean, just to see what God has created. Jesus created all that. Jesus, Paul says, made all things seen and unseen. All things seen and unseen. He, he has made it all. So let me just switch gears for a minute here. And I want you to think about this. Not about the vastness of all this, but about the detailed increases of the other side of creation. Did you know 
that a caterpillar has 228 separate muscles in its head? How many muscles do we have in our head? I don't know. Not, not one? Did you say not one? <laughs> That's crazy. 228 muscles in their head. Did you know that the average elm tree has approximately 6 million leaves on it? That's a lot of leaves. Did you know that your own heart generates enough pressure that it could squirt blood 30 feet away from you? Now, I don't recommend you doing that. Not at all. But that's how, that's how far it can squirt blood away. That's how much pressure is in your body. You know, have you ever thought about how creative and how incredible Jesus is? He is so creative and so incredible in his creation. I just love it. Jesus didn't have to make hundreds of different kinds of bananas, but I'm glad he did. I like a banana every once in a while with peanut butter on it. You know, he didn't have to put 3,000 species of trees within a square mile of the Amazon jungle, but he did that. You know, he didn't have to create you, which guess what? You are his greatest creation. You, you are his greatest creation. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, right, come on, Bob, get moving, you know. But you are his greatest creation. He created you, and you are his greatest creation. And, and, and everything about you, everything about you is unique. Your fingerprints, your heartbeat, your DNA, even your laugh. <laughs> Even your laugh. You know, have you ever met anyone whose laugh is exactly the same way as yours? No, you probably not. Even your laugh. Everything about you is unique. So whatever Christ's reasons for such diversity, creativity, and sophistication in the universe on earth and in you, what it does... It, it does something important. What it does is it, it points all of this to his glory. That's what it does. We are pointed to his glory. Christ's creation speaks for himself, reflecting on who he is and what he is like. That's what it does. You know, his art, his handiwork, his creation all echo the truth. And that truth is that he is glorious. Jesus is the one that's glorious. There is no one like him. And that's why Paul writes that he is supreme. He is the firstborn over all creation. That's what Paul tells us. And that is the Christ of Christianity. And Paul needed to tell them that because they had forgotten. The church at Colossae had forgotten that. And so he had to tell them that. So first of all, we see that, that Jesus is our creator. But Paul says that he is also something else. He goes on to call him the head honcho of our, uh, you know, of, of, of the church. He, he is our commander. Jesus is the commander. In, in, in August of, 19, for, of 1994, I don't know if any of you saw this or not, but a, a Korean air jet skidded across a rain-soaked runway and rammed into a safety barricade while trying to land in Korea. But thankfully... All 160 passengers escaped safely just moments before the plane exploded into flames. Do you know what caused that accident? 
Does anybody know what caused that accident besides Chrissy? <laughs> She's or Ryan there. What caused that accident, according to the news reports, was that the pilot and the co-pilot had gotten into a fist fight. <laughs> Can you imagine? They got into a fist fight over who was in charge of landing the landing controls. Yeah, I know. You would think that they would have covered that in the flight, the pre-flight plan or the, in the flight manual. I don't know. But you know what? There's a good point here. There's just something in our human nature that makes us want to be the one in charge. Isn't there? We want to be the one in charge. Oh, you might sit there and say, no, I don't want that. Ah, uh, yeah, you do. We all want to be in charge somewhere, somehow. We want to be in charge. But you know what? In the church, though, we're not the ones in charge. We are not the ones in charge. Jesus is the one that's in charge. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he says, he says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. That's who Jesus is. He is first in everything. So what does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? Well, it means that he's the boss. Christ is in charge. What he says goes. He calls the shots. And he's the one that has all the authority. He is the commander in chief. In fact, Paul writes elsewhere... And this is what he says. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, look at what he says. He says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, so Paul's even saying that in Ephesians there, that, that Jesus is, he's the head honcho, he's the commander in chief. Jesus is in charge of his church. This is his church right here. I am not the head of this church. The elders are not the head of this church. And if we had deacons, they would not be the head of this church. The president, praise the Lord, is not the head of this church. The pope, is not the head of this church. Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church. We follow his leadership. We follow his teaching. And if I were to put an organizational chart up to show who's responsible for what ministries in our church, at the very top of that, that chart, we would put the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who's in charge. But the problem with that is this. Just like those Korean pilots, we like to be the ones in charge. You know, we, we like to call the shots. We want to know how much money is being spent, where it's being spent. 
We may even like our presence to be made known when there's an important decision that needs to be made, and there's nothing wrong with that. And we even sometimes grumble and complain when things don't go our way. Well, there is something wrong with that. We need to not be grumbling and complaining. If Jesus is really supreme over all creation, if he's powerful enough to speak the cosmos into existence and brilliant enough to fashion together the trillions of cells that make up every detail of who you are, the trillions of cells in your body, then the smartest thing that we can do is to follow his leadership. Shouldn't it be? Surrender to Christ's sovereignty, both in our personal lives and in our church life. That's what we need to be doing. There was an African convert while visiting a school where girls were learning to sew, noticed a simple principle. He said, wherever the needle went, the thread followed. That, he decided, represented his relationship with Jesus. He prayed, O Lord, you are the needle and I am the thread. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about, oh, Jesus, you are the potter and I am the clay when we were at the parks. Remember that? For those of you that were there. So wherever Christ led, he said, I'm going to follow. And see, the same should be true in our relationship with Jesus. So the first thing we see is this. We see that Jesus is our creator, and then we see that Jesus is our commander-in-chief. The last thing that I want to point out here is that Jesus is our reconciliation. He is our peacemaker. He is our mediator. He is our reconciliator. A reconciliator is someone who facilitates what? Reconciliation. (laughs) It's not rocket scientists, folks. He is our peacemaker. He is our mediator. Notice what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and it's the man Christ Jesus. And for anyone that is Roman Catholic or has that background, I'm sorry to tell you that the Pope is not that. He is not that one man that's between us and God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the man Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one who hung suspended between heaven and earth. He is the one that we go through. He is the man. So so maybe you know what it's like to be alienated. Maybe you know what it's like to be separated or estranged from someone you were once very close with. Maybe it's a father and son relationship. Maybe it's a mother and daughter relationship. Maybe it's a a, a sibling uh, uh, that you're that you're having difficult with. Maybe it's just something between two close friends. You know, I've been there. I know what I know what what I'm talking about there. When it, when it's a, a difficulty between two people, you know, they they get into a fight or an argument. You know, things things are said that that can never be unsaid. Feelings are hurt, and, and good relationships that were once very good relationships become strained and, and, and they, they're to, maybe even to the breaking point or maybe it's just, you're just done with it. You know, they stop talking to each other and they just drift further and further apart. But I want to tell you something. Life is just too short for things like that to happen. According to Paul, that's what happened between us and God. And it was our fault. It was our fault. 
Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's our fault. We have broken our relationship with God time and time again because we sin. We hurt God greatly with our disobedience and our rebellion. We do. God does not, he doesn't have to forgive us, but he does. In fact, he could have just easily hold, you know, that grudge and he could have banished us for eternity. That's what God could have done. But instead, God chose reconciliation. And he chose that reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Paul continues in Colossians chapter 1. He says, verse 22, he says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We are free. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Because this is what God has done through Jesus Christ, through his physical body. That physical body that, that had the nails in the hands and, and, and the spear in the side and, and the nails in the feet and had been beaten to almost where his flesh was torn off of his back. It's that same physical body that Jesus presented to God as a sacrifice. This is the gospel. This is the good news for you and for me and for everyone. You know, our faults and our failures drove a wedge between us and God, so much so that he saw us as enemies. Can you imagine that? But despite all of our sins and our shortcomings, God still loves us, and he wanted to have a relationship with us, and he He wanted it to last for eternity. So God became a man and he visited this tiny blue planet in the vast universe that he created. As the God-man, Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. You know, the old rugged cross was tinged red with the blood of the creator of the cosmos. Through his sacrifice, Jesus reconnected us with God. It's like reconnecting. Remember that? This is what reminds me. Any of you watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? And Okay, some of you have. It's in that spot where he is just absolutely frustrated. He cannot get those lights to come on. And he goes, and brings that together and all the lights come on and all you hear all these like heavenly angels starting to sing the, you know, the joyous thing. That's what I picture when I'm getting reconnected to the power, which is God. We are reconnected. He has, he has reconnected us with God. He, he allowed us to know God personally and to spend all eternity in his glorious presence. You know, God comes to us through his son, Jesus Christ, embracing us, calling us brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and, and saying, I forgive you. I don't hold your sins against you. I want to walk with you and I want to be your friend. My desire is for you to be reconciled back to me. That's what his desire is. And Jesus, Jesus is the one that makes all that possible. He's the one. Jesus. So as we close this morning... Paul surveyed this doctrinal, dysfunctional church here at Colossae. He's looking at it. He knew the place to start was to start with Jesus. He knew that. 
It's all about Jesus. If they, if they could get on the right page when it comes to Christ, then, then they could get back on track. And that's what he wanted. So, so who is Jesus? Number one, he is our creator. He created all things. All things were created by him and for him. Number two, he is our commander in chief. He is the head of the church. Thank goodness he's the head of the church, which is his body. And then the third thing that I want to point out is this. He is our reconciliator. He is the one who reconciles us back to God. That's what Paul says in this passage here. The question now is this. Once we know who Jesus is and the place he holds in the universe, in the church, and in our own lives, how does that change things? How does it change things? How does that affect our actions? How does it affect our attitudes? How does it affect our relationships and even more? You know, the question is, is Jesus all the world to you? Is he all the world to you? If he is and you're ready to put your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ, then I want to invite you to come. Maybe it's you need to be immersed in Christ or maybe you need to talk to someone. I don't know what it is, but I want to just share this with you. It says, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad... He makes me glad. He's my friend. Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I'll trust him now. I'll trust him when life's fleeting day shall end. This beautiful life with such a friend, beautiful life that has no end, eternal life, eternal joy. He's my friend. That's Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come forward this morning. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing to our creator, to our commander in chief, and to our reconciliator.